Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry, along with your other host, Barrett Brooks. The other host, the more important host, the less, I don't know. All I know is you got to start the show yesterday and I get to start the show today and tomorrow will be your day, you know, maybe unless we switch it up more. Um, Okay. Today we're going to be talking about why building audience is a superpower We'll dive into all kinds of stuff. But first, I want a little celebration. We talk about getting better, leveling up, that kind of thing. Barrett and I, from yesterday to today, we still make the same number of verbal mistakes, but we have better microphones. So yeah, uh, especially because uh, as we get into the like current state of affairs, um, maybe we'll dive into red, yellow, green again. But uh, one of the things that you know has changed is that Amazon has said they're not accepting shipments to their warehouses that are non-essential goods. I didn't get into the definition of essential goods um, and all of that, but I imagine this microphone would not fall under essential goods under Amazon's definition. So glad we bought them a while ago and they're all set up. Uh, we'll tweak them. We'll optimize things later, but I guess just kicking th- things off. Uh, Barrett, how are you doing? Uh, I would say I'm, I'm solidly yellow again today. Kick the day off though with a really, really nice practice that felt really painful at the time, but uh, I'm grateful for it, which was... Uh, did a little meditative prayer for uh, 20 minutes. And the, the premise of it was, so I'm a Christian, which doesn't mean I think everyone should be a Christian. I'm just saying that my own faith is that I'm Christian. And uh, the practice was you have a word related to your faith in your head. And as you lose track of just emptiness and silence, you come back to the one single word. And so my word for the day was hope. And for 20 minutes, I sat in silence. And uh, every time my mind, my mind wandered to, uh, you know, the stats of the virus or anything else, you know, about what we need to get done at work, I just came back to this word of hope. And that was a really cool way to start the day. But uh, sitting silently for 20 minutes felt like an eternity, which told me that I need to do it more often because I'm always on right now and I probably need to slow down a little bit. Outside of that, my child is sleep regressing because he's about at the four month mark. So uh, sleep is at a premium right now. Yeah. Wow. Um, one, th- that sounds really difficult, both on the the child side and the sitting in silence. Um, maybe I'll have to try that tomorrow. We'll see. Um, let's see. I guess for me, I'd say I'm yellow as well. Uh, it was really fun getting the podcast episode out yesterday. Excited to have all of you listening in. But there's just a lot going on. Today's packed with meetings and all of that. Uh, I did get in a little bit of grocery shopping yesterday to replace like the fresh you know, fruits and veggies and all of that. And it was nice to see the stores, at least here in Boise, all well-stocked again from there. So yeah, everybody sound off in the chat. Uh, watch For everyone who's watching live, um, love to kind of hear some of that red, yellow, green. Uh, and then I guess if we check on the numbers overall, uh, coronavirus. They are not great. I think uh, New York Times telling us we had like 1,200 new cases yesterday. Um, so the exponential curve continues despite all of the efforts around uh, around the country and certainly around the world. You know, total cases have passed the total cases in, in China now. And we're not on a great trajectory at the moment. I think we're, we're kind of in this for the long haul and uh, need to be prepared to for life to change for a little while, I think. Yeah, for sure. 
like looking at those graphs, I I think I've actually never seen, well, so like for us working in products and, and, uh, online, right. We study viral growth and, and we always use that as a proxy for like, how do social networks grow? How to, how do these other products grow? And I think I've probably never seen a graph, like an actual graph, not something that somebody made up go up that quickly as it is. And it's, it's just, it's completely insane. So we'll see where that takes us, but I agree. It's going to be a long journey. And that's where, you know, we'll kind of transition this to take it into uh, our topic for today, which is, um, an audience is a superpower. And, uh, we talked about that a lot yesterday of there being like now being possibly the best time ever to build an audience. And, uh, I think it'd be first, maybe worthwhile to define when we say audience, what do we mean? So Barrett, you want to explain that? Yeah. You know, I kind of put this in, in our little, uh, outline doc, because I, I think audience can feel like this magical thing that just kind of is going to exist out there. And it's hard to imagine, especially when you haven't gotten started yet, where, where are these people and how do I find them? And like, what do you mean when you say an audience? And so I I think I'll go to, uh, you know, one of my mentors and kind of how he defines it, Seth Godin, you'll probably hear me say his name a gajillion times if you tune in (laughs) regularly, but, uh, he always thinks about an audience in terms of people who want to hear from you and who would miss you if you didn't show up. And I love that uh, because inherent in that is permission. People who want to hear from you, not just people whose email addresses you have and upload to a tool like ConvertKit, but people who have actively said, Nathan or you know Alex or Callie or anyone who's live, I love your content. I love your perspective and I want more of it in my life. Will you please send me, you know, the new content that you make or the new art that you make? And so when I think about an audience, it's how many people have actively said, I would miss your work if you didn't make it. And typically um, that looks like people either on a social platform that are following you and, and read all your content Um, Or the way we like to think of it is the number of email subscribers you have. I think that's the most direct and kind of believable way to know that people have actively said, I want you to tell me more about what you're doing or to share your, your art or your work with me. Yeah. And I kind of titled this episode, your audience is a superpower. I've also on my blog referred to it as like an audience being a cheat code for life and business. And so when we get into that of like, okay, what does that actually mean, right? You've got uh, 500 people, 50 people, 1,000, 100,000 people following you at any level. Like what impact does that actually have? And the way that I like to think about it is when I look back at my career. So I started in web design and software design, made this jump to designing iPhone apps when I first left my job at a software company. And right around then is when I started building an audience. And I don't spend any time right now talking about how to design iPhone apps. Like you got to hear me talk about this uh, in our mastermind group of what, eight years ago or something like that. It'd come up a lot. That was, that was the topic. And now it's not what I do at all. And all the way along, I made these different jumps of going from talking about app design to talking about, um, you know, more broader web user experience and then transitioning from there into marketing and audience building. And, uh, you know, I used to talk a lot about pricing strategy and all this other stuff and then making that transition and starting ConvertKit and growing it. And so when I think about what my audience did for me is those are the people who every time I made this jump, they were the ones like cheering me on. 
Like imagine taking this big leap. You're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to quit my job and go freelance, or I'm going to try to sell this product or something. And instead of people going like, okay, cool. Have fun with that. There's like a hundred people who are like, yeah, dude, you got this. And that's what an audience is. And so I think of when you're trying to undertake some of these really complicated things, like starting your first product or quitting your job or any of those things, it's so hard. And what if you had like a cheat code that you could type in and unlock that? And I always think of, I played a lot of computer games as a kid and my favorite one was Age of Empires. And I don't remember the cheat code. I should have looked it up beforehand, but you would type this in and then like your armies would be getting overwhelmed. You type in this cheat code and then you get this car with a machine gun. Uh, and you would drive around with that and, and, uh, take care of your enemies. And, and it was just like, you know, in this time of need, you could just call in backup and they'd come in and help you out. And that's the way I think of an audience as like, you've got these people who are in your corner and they're excited for you and you get yourself in a tight spot and you're like, Hey guys, I need some help. Um, I need this to actually go somewhere. And they, they come in, maybe not a little race car with a machine gun, but, um, it's almost as useful. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Kevin Kelly and uh, a thousand true fans. But if you've never heard the concept, I'm sure many of you have, but if you've never heard the concept, the idea is that it really doesn't take that many people to be able to earn a living as a creator. You know, it might sound like a lot if you're just literally starting from zero, but all things considered, if you could get a thousand people who pay attention to what you do and buy pretty much anything you make, you're pretty set. And so if you do the math on that, you know, you think about a thousand people, you really only need to make about a hundred dollars a year from each of those people to make a really healthy living. And when you think about all the different businesses where you spend a hundred dollars every year, um, there's probably a decent number of businesses where you're part of their crew. If you put it in that context and what I love about an audience is that not only is it a superpower, not only will they be the people, if you do it right, who swarm to that next thing you make, but you don't need to earn that much money from each one of them for you to make a really great living doing really interesting creative work. And that's powerful. That's what makes it a superpower. Yeah. I think we go a long ways with that. And actually we should do a future episode. Of, this is getting, getting off topic, but we should do a future episode on like some of the pricing and, and the products and all of that. But that made me think about where an audience lives. And you touched on this a little bit. We are all in on email, but that, that audience lives a bunch of different places, right? For, for this, uh, show, we, you know, we posted, um, on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, pulling people in from there. So we definitely believe in having that audience in a lot of different places and then having one dedicated home for it. Um, and like you said, that, that's email. So as we look at starting that audience off, like getting those first few people, let's talk about getting your first hundred subscribers or maybe even your first 10 subscribers. Where would you start and kick off that process? Yeah. Well, the first one's always easy. It's, it's your mom without a doubt. Or if you, if maybe you're not lucky enough to have your mom still with you, or um, it's, it's whoever kind of serves that role in your life. You know, the person who will do it out of obligation because you got to get the first one to get the hundredth one. And the first one's just always going to be someone who maybe they won't buy your stuff or maybe they'll sympathy buy your stuff, but they're there to show that it's possible. Right. And I'm not even kidding. My mom for my first business was literally the first person who subscribed to my email list more broadly than that though. I think about there's the hub and spoke model of content, of audience development, of whatever. 
And you've got all of these hubs. Maybe you have Instagram and you have Twitter and you have Facebook and you have your social life and all of those places, you've probably got a few people who pay attention to you. And amongst those people, there are probably a smaller number that want to hear what you have to say on whatever your topic is, right? And so when you're getting started, really where these people come from, there's no forms, there's no website, there's no nothing. It's a text message or a Facebook message or whatever. And you literally are just picking the people you think that who you already know, you already, they know you, they're like your friend who might care about the topic that you're going to start writing about. And so like, let's say I was going to start a fly fishing blog. I'm going to text the 10 people in my life who I know are somewhat interested in fly fishing, either actively or passively. And I'm going to say, Hey, I'm doing a new thing. This is going to be kind of weird when I ask this of you, but would you like to be an email subscriber of my new blog about fly fishing? And some of them, embarrassingly, are going to say, no, I don't want to. But I think this is a really valuable exercise because the no thing is something you got to get really used to. And it's not, it doesn't kill you, I promise. But it is a little weird when it's your friends. And so then you got to say, okay, no worries. Hope to see you soon. But that's how I would approach it. I would literally just text or Facebook message people I already know. So friends, family members, people in my network and say, hey, I'm starting this thing. I think you'll like it because blank. Would you like to be a subscriber? And then they either say yes and cool. You just add them to your list or maybe you point them to a little landing page or something like that, but we can get into that later. Yeah, and it just starts really simply like that. Um, When I started writing about designing iPhone applications, I would start with, uh, I did email, but it was, you know, it wasn't anything fancy. It was just um, opening up a, a new Gmail tab, you know, starting a new email and saying, Hey, this is what I'm working on. Would you be interested? And that first group of people that I emailed were a couple of coworkers who um, were building, you know, they're developers building iPhone apps on the side and they wanted to learn the design side and just going from there is a family member and a couple of friends. Um, so when you think about getting those first few people, it's really just this direct outreach that works. And I've actually seen people do this direct outreach approach all the way up to trying to think of the biggest one I saw. I think it was, they reached about 150 people on their email list through that basic stuff of reaching out to people. That might be more than more people than you know, but I bet you could get to 20 pretty easily with that. And it also practices that really important skill. You alluded to uh, the, the habit and skill of rejection, which is really good. And, you know, so in doing this, you get the skill of making the ask. In building an audience, you're going to have to make a lot of asks. And it starts with, hey, will you follow my work? Will you stay in touch with, with what I'm doing? One of the inherent benefits of starting here, it's, it's not like sexy. It's not the like, here's the trick that is going to get you to your first 9,000 email subscribers overnight. You know, this is the unsexy part of building a business like this or living a creative life. The great thing about reaching out to people who you know and are close to, though, is that you probably share interest with many of them because that's probably why you know them. And so whatever you're doing, presumably, you're interested in, I hope, and there's a decent number of people that you know who share that interest already because you know each other and you hang out, right? And so there's a lot of value in starting there. And the thing you need to understand is that those people, their job is not just to read your stuff. You're not going to tell them this up front. This is, we're talking to you only <laughs> right now, right? Okay. Don't go telling them this in the first text, text message. But they're going to be the ones who get you your next 20 or 50 or 100 people. 
if you do what you said you were going to do, which is make good stuff that they enjoy. Because they'll send the text message or forward the email or, or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, and once you get those first people, you can later on make that request. Uh, and because you bring up a good point that there is this next step that's really important to building an audience, right? We've, we've got those first 20 people or those first 25 people. And if you're like, that's nothing. I'm not, I'm not writing a whole blog post to 25 people. Okay, well then just imagine 25 people sitting in the room. If I was like, hey, I got 25 people I really respect together. Will you come teach them a workshop on fly fishing or on design or whatever else? And you're like, hell no, that's not enough people. Then I would think you kind of had too big of an ego. You know, so if you think about that from that perspective, 25 is actually a lot. And so if you come in and say, okay, I can teach them something valuable, because that's really the next step is that you actually have to start showing up consistently and building that audience. And that's the part where the first place that people get hung up is can I even get enough people? And we've established 25 is enough and you can get there. And then the second thing is people think, oh yeah, I can show up consistently. I can do that. And the truth is that that's really, really hard. Now we say that we're on day two of a podcast. So we'll tell you how good we are at it, you know, on, on day 100 or, you know, day 500 or whatever. But that's the thing where you actually have to schedule in that time and really make sure that that happens, that consistency happens. Because I think we've all seen friends start things where they run it for a day, a week, a month. And then when the motivation drops off, um, they don't have the habits to fall back on to make sure it continues. That's right. And um, I think a lot of times that happens because they think it's supposed to go faster than sometimes it does, you know? And the reality is you have to show up consistently regardless of the results, because the only thing you have control over is process. And so the way this comes back to audience growth is once you get beyond that first group of people, the only thing you really have control over at that point, you've kind of exhausted your personal network, is whether you make stuff that resonates with people. And really, you can only make stuff. You can't even control whether it resonates, but you can make hypotheses about the topics people are going to care about, what they want to learn, what you know that you can share um, we have this shared value at ConvertKit in terms of how we lead and how we build the team and company of teaching everything you know. And this came from Nathan's business early on where he found that if he could just be a couple steps ahead of whoever was in his audience, then everything he was learning was worth them learning as well. Back in the old days of a podcast I ran before, we used to call that concept a leading learner. You know, so you're out in front of people and everything that you're learning, you're turning around and sharing with your audience. And this is true regardless of what your medium is, whether you're a writer, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a musician or a chef, like the behind the scenes stuff is actually what makes people feel connected to you. The vulnerable, yeah, I was trying a new recipe for my restaurant the other night and I lit it on fire you want to see the photo of what it looked like afterwards? Like that is what makes people fall in love with you. Yes, they want the finished recipe when it's done, but what's going to keep them coming back is the stuff that makes them feel like, oh, I got something no one else did. That's the email that gets forwarded. Right, it's that human element because I'm going to try to do the recipe. I'm going to see your perfect polished version of it. I'm going to try to do it and be like, I couldn't do any of it. Like, you know, it falls apart. It tastes terrible. I don't know, the cake collapses in on itself or any of those things. I'm like, why didn't this rise? What, you know, what's wrong with the bread that I baked? And if you share some of your own stories as the creator of like, oh yeah, this totally did not work the first time out because I was totally distracted. You know, my kids were talking to me while I was testing this out and yeah, I totally messed it up. If you share that side of it, then people will go, oh, oh, you're just like me. And we love following 
you know, movie stars and super famous people. But you know what we love the most is when they sit down on, you know, Oprah or Ellen or something like that and like share things that like really, really connect with them. And that's all we're asking you to do is to share the truth, the authentic side and to show up and do that consistently. Yeah, totally. Um, someone in the chat, Danya, I think uh, asked, what if you're not good at storytelling and you're trying to take this approach? And here's what I would say. If you sit down with friends and you've ever made them laugh about something that happened to you in your life, then you're good at storytelling. It doesn't have to be this like grandiose skill. You're just sharing what's true and what's happened to you uh, over time. And an example of this that I love, um, they're further along than, than beginners, but this couple, uh, Paul Nicklin and Christina Mittermeier, they have a foundation called Sea Legacy. They're National Geographic photographers. They just recently started an email list. And a lot of what they send are early career stories about getting started. The like painful slogging through six feet of snow in the Arctic, not knowing if they're ever going to get another gig again because they can't capture the photo they were assigned to capture for National Geographic. And so it's not, yes, they're telling a story, but really he's, he's just sharing what was true. You know, he was on this project to photograph salmon across the world. And he didn't know if he was going to be able to get back from whatever country he was. And it's not that he's coming up with the arc. He's just relating what he had to go through to get where he is today. And for someone who's deeply interested in being where he is or learning what he knows, it's inherently interesting. And so that's the thing about telling stories is people want connection. You know, they don't want a formula. They don't want you to be a master filmmaker who can tell this arc. If you are a master filmmaker, it's wonderful, <laughs> but they don't need you to be that, to be able to relate to, you know? Yeah. And that's really where there's these two sides of it. When we're talking about building an audience and when you get stuck on one side, you can go to the other. And those two sides are teaching and storytelling. And you can just use yourself as the barometer for this. What teaching would I want to learn if I was in the shoes of my audience? You know, what types of content? For me, it was I wanted to read content that had actual numbers in it. And so one of the first things that I did was put actual numbers in every blog post I wrote about selling iPhone apps or publishing a book or any of those things. I put numbers into it. Turns out I wanted it. Other people wanted it as well. I wasn't that unique. And then the other side is the storytelling, right? And so tell the stories, the kinds of stories that I want to read. And for me, I wanted to read authentic stories. I wanted to read stories from people who seemed like they were just like me, but a little bit further ahead who were willing to be vulnerable and wouldn't just give me the polished, perfect version of it. And if you can have those two worlds and just, hey, maybe it's every Monday you're coming out with a really in-depth, good teaching article uh, that you have. And every Thursday you're telling a story. And if you were to alternate between those two worlds, you'll build a fantastic audience. So I want to, uh, golly, 30 minutes flies by. I want to wrap I want to wrap this part of the conversation up and tie it back to building an audience because we talked about getting that first 20 or 25 people. And so what is all this content stuff, the storytelling, the education and entertainment is kind of the like alliterative version of this I like. Educate and entertain. Why does it matter? It matters because that's where the rest of the audience comes from. And there's two ways that that happens, two key ways that that happens. You educate or entertain in a way that resonates with the 20 or 25 people you already have paying attention. And they say, hey, I know a person who would want to know this too, or who would want to read this. And so they share it and you can ask them to do that, you know, at the end of the post. Hey, if you love this, share this with a friend and they might text it or email it or whatever. The second way is that on your website or wherever you publish these things, 
YouTube, uh, podcast, whatever, you want to send people to a form that asks their permission to send them future content. So at the bottom of every blog post, you want to have an email subscription form. Or if you're on YouTube, you want to link out to a landing page. Or if you're on a podcast, you want to do the same. Tell people at the end of your episode where they can go to get behind the scenes emails or whatever about your podcast. And that gives them the chance to opt in to say, okay, this is pretty good. I want to keep paying attention to this person and I want to come back to it every time they publish. So we'll get into landing pages and forms and all that good stuff in another episode. But that's kind of where the the growth comes from after those first 20 or 25. Yeah. And as we roll into showcasing our creator of the day, um, I've got a good example here. We'll show you one of the landing pages. The creator that I want to feature today is Emily Mills. I know she was tuning in for the live stream yesterday and she's been an amazing part of our community for a long time. Let me just, I guess this is a live stream. I I can screen share. So this is her site. She's an illustrator, a sketch note artist, um, a designer. And if you kind of go through her portfolio, a few of my favorite places to follow her are over on Instagram. Um, so her site is emilyamills.com. Um, but if you check her out on Instagram, she's got all this amazing sketch notes that she's done for conferences, um, a lot of fantastic stuff. And then if you go check out her on Dribble, you'll see her whole design portfolio. And then kind of as Barrett was alluding to, She's got a dedicated landing page that she links to from Instagram, from Dribbble, from her social profiles for people to, you know, sign up and take her free Sketchnote Academy. So Emily's a fantastic designer. You should follow her and then also learn from her example of how to build an audience in a really useful, authentic, educational way. Yeah, I love that. Um, my creator of the day, I'm going to screen share too, because now I feel like you've set the precedent is uh, Tana Ross. Tana is the person in this uh, video doing kettlebell exercises. She owns the gym that I go to here locally in Portland. Why I'm highlighting her today though, is that she is an incredible example of someone who has taken what traditionally is just a small business. It's, it's you know, whatever, a thousand square feet or something uh, with kettlebells in it. So it's a gym and there's seven classes a day or something like that. But the people who go there love talking to each other. They hang out on weekends. They're connected in a Facebook group. It's personal. You know, it's more than just going to work out. And uh, if you follow Bleeding Hearts Kettlebell Club on Instagram, you'll see kind of how they do that. They're just constantly highlighting the members of the gym and them working out and connecting people to one another on a human level and making people feel comfortable that Kettlebells are not just for fit people. They're for anyone who wants to exercise and who wants to feel good. Um, And she just amazes me with the spirit she brings to that. And the latest thing I've loved is that in this time, they, so they have a gym and they make all of their living off of people paying to go to the gym, but people aren't going to the gym right now because we're all staying home because that's what's safe. All of you are staying home. Please, please be staying home. Yes. Uh, She on a dime switched from, really great cleaning practices and everything that she was reassuring everyone on to closing the gym responsibly and going online with every class. And so now through Zoom, three times a day, every day, she's live streaming a workout that a bunch of people join and put their computers in front of them. She's correcting their form and all of that and demonstrating how they should do it. And she's doing a private body weight workout if you don't have kettlebells at home, which most people don't, that you can do anytime throughout the day. I've just been so amazed at the adaptation that she's made to the current environment. And it just shows as a creator, you can always find ways to continue 
creating as long as you have a loyal audience. Oh, that's good. I think we're going to see a lot of adaption like that of people uh, either being caught back on their heels saying, I don't know what to do in this time. You know what? Like everything's falling apart. And then there being a subset of people going, I have no clue what to do, but this is a step that I can take. And uh, I think that's fantastic. So as we dive into resources of the day and then uh, we close out, the resource that I want to share uh, is the Forest app. That is at forestapp.cc. Uh, you can see that right here. It's this little iPhone app. What you do with it is, uh, it's basically a Pomodoro timer if you're familiar with that, but it lets you grow this fantastic little forest. It rewards you for having these focused sessions that you track on your phone. Uh, and then kind of the twist on it is that if you break one of these sessions, right? So you're, you're planting a tree. We actually have that vernacular that we now use inside of ConvertKit of like, I'm gonna quit Slack and go plant a tree. And we don't literally mean a tree, except that I think I actually might go plant some trees this week because- I have a farm and that's what we do here. Uh, but digitally, you can plant a tree and it grows as you focus. And then if you like switch over to Twitter or you break your focus time, the tree dies. And then in your forest, you have a dead tree as a reminder of your inability to focus. Anyway, it's a great app. Um, if you can even just get one to three 30-minute focus blocks in over the next 24 hours, I think you'll feel... Like you're more in control of your life. Like you got some great creative energy out and uh, you'll feel a lot less stressed because of it. Yeah, I can agree more, especially during a time with so much distraction and just like mental weight. Getting a f 90 minutes of good work in in a given day is really a big win right now. So I just want to reinforce that, that you don't need to do eight hours right now to feel successful. Mine is something that you probably heard of, uh, Headspace. It's the app that I use to meditate when I actually follow that practice. Um, I mentioned that that's how I started my day today. And um, they have great beginner little tutorials, uh, guided meditations that are as short as five minutes. And man, it really made a difference in my day today to just have some quiet space to let my mind rest, to not be checking anything on my phone or computer and just let go of what's going on in the world that I can't control. And um if you need something to help you do that, I think Headspace would be a really easy and effective way to get started with creating some blank space for you to be a little more calm and mindful uh, during a really challenging time. That's good. All right, last closing thought, just wrapping up this episode. We did a little poll around our team this morning, You know, going for a red, red yellow, green, uh, as we talked about the other day, and there were a lot of yellows, handful of reds, you know, and when you kind of have that awareness of like, oh, I'm not doing so well. Um, I want to talk through something that uh, both Barrett and I do of how we start to analyze stress. And this question might seem a little bit weird, but the first thing that we do is ask, okay, where in my body do I feel it? Because what we're trying to do is get from the, like, I feel stressed. Uh, and instead of jumping straight to why do I feel stressed, you if you go to where then you can start to have a little bit of distance from it and be able to observe this a little bit. So for me, I usually, if I'm really stressed, I feel a tightness in my chest. Like that's where it closes in. But sometimes if I'm, if it's a really anxious stress, then my hands will like not get shaky, but they'll get fidgety and I'll be playing with stuff. And like Brett and I would be on a call and I'm like, okay. And I just dropped the pencil that I was fiddling with, you know, it's like, what is that sound? You know? And that's where it goes of being really fidgety. But then if it's like a real anxiety then like I'll notice it start to build in my neck and like my shoulder posture and all that. And so when I take a step back and go, okay, where am I stressed? 
then I can realize, oh, it's that tightness in the chest and I can change my breathing a little bit and I can pull back from there. And then I can start to go, okay, what's causing it? Because sometimes it's the overall environment, but we're going to live in this environment for a long time. So we're going to have to get a little bit more specific. And so for me, it might be like, oh, actually it's that email that I just got, you know, 10 minutes ago that I flipped past, you know, really quickly. And I thought I'd moved on from, that was some bad news, but it's still like, you know, it's gone from the moment of my mind and now it's just like manifested itself like core in my body. And so if I can have that awareness and start, start to step beyond that, then I can see, okay, this is something that I need to stop and journal about now. Is it better to just get up and take a walk and step away for a minute? Or what, what steps can I take? And so I think the first thing that I'm asking you to do is to just really have that awareness. Yep. To, uh, to be able to take mindful action, you got to be able to know what's causing it to start with. So just building that awareness. All right, y'all. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, know that we're rooting for you. And uh, if you have questions you want us to answer, or ideas for future episodes, tweet us. Uh, we're just Nathan Barry and Barrett A. Brooks on Twitter. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.